Scoreline Extra, the podcast that tries to condense some of the best interviews over the weekend of sport on KCLR. Over this episode, we'll hear from Shirley Trimble from Kilkenny Tennis Club, FAI development coach Dean Broders, former world champion kickboxer Paul Cummins on the newly touted multi-purpose sports arena in Kilkenny. JJ Killian joins us about his new book, It's Your Club. But first, we caught up with Colm Cronin from the Irish NFL show to discuss the upcoming draft in the NFL. That was Colin Cronin from the Irish NFL show. You can catch the show on Virgin. Thanks, Shane. Delighted to have the opportunity to come back on and to, to chat to you at another kind of seminal moment in the NFL's calendar with the draft coming up on Thursday night. Yeah, with the last time we were on, we were talking about the Super Bowl. I suppose you probably had a lot of media obligations, the Super Bowl being such a hugely world-renowned uh, uh, sporting event. The draft in itself isn't actually any sport going on it's uh, it's it's people like coming from college football that are going to be picked by teams uh, to to represent them it's a completely different method than what we would experience over here in Europe especially with the any followers of soccer just in, in terms of the draft like what does it really evolve for people that wouldn't be too aware of it yeah absolutely i suppose there there're kind of two real purposes essentially to the draft right the, the first is that it keeps the leagues competitive balance and that's what the NFL is, probably differentiates it from say the the Premier League and things like that they're, they're all about trying to keep it competitive as much as they possibly can so that means that the team with the worst record last year they get to pick first so they get the pick of all of the, the best college players coming into the league they can pick whoever they want and the team that um, won the Super Bowl they pick last in, in the draft so it means the teams that struggled last year, they get to address those issues. And it doesn't matter how deep your owner's pockets are. Um, you, you, know, you get to pick the, the cream coming out of college. And the other thing I suppose that it does, it allows for renewed hope for every team. Fans get the opportunity to get excited about the potential of those, the best players entering the league. And I think that's really um, what the, the draft is all about. So we will see it. It'll take place on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. There are a number of different rounds to it. Um, but ultimately, it, it, as you said, it facilitates the college players moving into the professional uh, game. Yeah, uh, like just so people know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the, the Super Bowl winners, they were down the dumps for like, the previous 10 years I know they had a great they brought Rob Gronkowski in uh, uh, they brought Brady in of course you know but like stuff like that would would have helped and facilitate their ascension as well so it, it really kind of balances it out I suppose it, it, it is quite a, a a big thing on people's mind because the ESL the European Super League we're looking at almost like a franchise league as well similar to what the American owners would be used to with the NFL or the uh, the NBA where they don't really have relegation but it's still a, a very competitive league when you're looking at previous finals you'll have Kansas City San Francisco or New England Los Angeles Tampa and Kansas as well so you're having a big mix of teams that are mixing around at the top and it was because of drafts and uh, and different type of business deals that that's allowed to happen yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the the, the difference, because I kept hearing, obviously, in talk of the Super League was the American model, but there are aspects to it that are totally removed from the American model. Because yeah. The American model has the draft, so, you know, the, allowing the, the worst team the first pick, but there's also the salary cap. So each team has a salary cap, and you have to find ways to work within that salary cap. Now, there are things you can do, and say Tom Brady going to the Bucks, a lot of players will want to play for with Brady, so they're willing to take a bit of a haircut on their salary in order to do that. But it wasn't just the free agency signing. You, you know, the Bucks have drafted really well in recent years, and last year they um, drafted two guys in particular in Tristan Wirth and Antoine Winfield Jr., who played really at an all-pro level in their first year, which is pretty incredible, aided by the team around them, of course. So it's really the draft and the, the salary cap are what keep the league um, competitive. And outside of the, the Patriots, the, you know, we haven't seen a, a sort of a, a dynasty emerge. Uh, you, you do see different teams uh, come and go. The, the Eagles uh, obviously won the Super Bowl a few years ago. Now they're sort of in the doldrums. Things have fallen uh, apart there. So it, it is every team after the draft finishes next Saturday. 
at least over the summer months before training camp and the season begin, the vast majority of fans will think we at least have a shot of the, the playoffs. And there'll be a, a sizable contingent who'll think, you know, if, if we get a lucky break here or there, we're in with a good shot at the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting model, certainly, especially the salary cap. I believe it was, something like that was touted for the ESL, but the, the them hoovering up talent would be completely uh, a separate model because basically when the guys coming coming into the NFL, they're coming in as as adults. They've after going through that college experience, whereas juxtaposed against soccer, they're being picked up at the age of twelve, and that's their life, you know. So it, it is really interesting that guys are coming from college. But is there any standouts now from the previous college season? It's such it's such huge business over there in terms of like the fans. You could get hundred thousand people at stadiums watching some college football games. They're already a star. So is there any names that are on people's list? Or is there any thought process of who's going where so far? Or is it all just kind of like a gamble and uh, you can't really predict what's happening? Well, I think the first two picks are pretty much nailed nailed on. Um, even though and. What we have to remember is last year the college season was so unusual. Um, there, there's a guy, Gil Brandt, who's been covering, he's been working within the draft for, this is 67th draft, he's 89 years of age, and he says this is the most unusual year because a, a lot of players had the option to opt out last year and not play. And some players, maybe they didn't want to opt out, but there was just no college football. So we're going to see guys go in this draft who, who haven't played in a year. Um, and what, what's the impact of that going to be? But in terms of, of, we know that Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson, is going in, into the first pick. He is going to, to Jacksonville. That is nailed on. There, uh, the Jacksonville fans, he got married recently at the age of 21. Jacksonville fans were sending him wedding presents. He donated <laughs> a huge amount of money to charity in the local area. Um, he has kind of been the um, anointed star ever since you know he came through right from um, high school into college. Um, he is he is a, he is a standout. There, there's no doubt about that. That the question is when you get into the league, can you take it to the next level? And if there's so many intangibles around motivation, and you go from being the superstar in college to just one of the guys when you come into the league, you, you, he'll still have some some superstardom, but. He's going into a locker room now where there are guys who've been in the league for 10, 12, potentially 15 years. So um, it, it is making that um, transition that, that's really difficult. Zach Wilson is going to go number two almost certainly to the Jets, who were for a long time in the running for Trevor Lawrence, but then they won a few games and actually moved to number two. Um, Wilson is interesting. Uh, if I, you know, if we were talking this time last year, wasn't really on the radar for a lot of people. But because he was able to play last year, and so many people weren't, his stock rose dramatically. Um, he is considered a fantastic talent. Um, some concerns that maybe he's a, he's a one year wonder. So those would be the top two. San Francisco 49ers picking at number three. That's where it gets really interesting because the 49ers traded up. To get that pick, it means they gave away picks from next year's draft um, and even potentially the the year after. What are they going to do? That's the question. That's the intrigue uh, over the next few days. Lots of different theories that they traded up for Matt Jones, that, that quarterback. Others saying, no, they'll definitely take Justin Fields. Other people saying Trey Lance. What we know is they have traded up to take a quarterback. Quarterbacks have become so important in the the NFL and it's interesting to see um, uh, if you look back to say the 80s um, Boomer Esiason who is considered a very good quarterback he was the first quarterback to go in the 1984 draft he didn't go until the 38th pick Um, Randall Cunningham in the 85 draft didn't go until the 37th pick Um, but now we are likely to see potentially five quarterbacks go in the top 10 picks and potentially we may even see six quarterbacks go in the first round on Thursday night which would be unprecedented but it highlights the way in which the game has changed and the the focus on offense and on ensuring that your team can move down the field and score points. Well, it, it, the interesting thing for me as well is, um, is especially now considering that you're saying that the, the whole year of college football has been pretty, you know, it has been unlike any other. But looking at some of maybe these teams coming into it, we, we, like, do you sense that teams are going to be 
apprehensive because because of the year that they've had but when you look back on someone like Jamarcus Russell who was number one overall uh, picked by the Raiders at quarterback mm-hmm. in 2007 and is regarded as one of the biggest busts in NFL history but he had a good really good pro day like it, it does that add to the intrigue of the draft as well just been like oh they've got this guy and now he's in our team and we're going to see him ascend but ultimately it doesn't always work out like that and there's no fairy tale stories in sport all the time Exactly. I think that's it, Remember, when you go high up in the draft, you're not going to a particularly good team. You might be going to a particularly good situation. So making that transition, and there's so much expectation on you. I think one of the interesting things is uh, Mel Kuyper, who's been kind of um, raising players coming into the draft for you know um, 30 years or thereabouts. He puts Trevor Lawrence as his fourth best quarterback ever coming out of college to make the transition. But at number eight, he has Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf went um, as the number two pick um, in 1998. Many people talked, uh, Peyton Manning was in the same draft. They were almost 1A, 1B to some people. And Leaf had all the tools to be um, an NFL superstar. But he says himself, as soon as he was drafted, he thought he made it. So he was he was taken, he went partying, he didn't study, and it all fell apart. Um, and unfortunately, he ended up in jail for a time. He's now, um, you know, good, great to see he's put the, you know, those demons behind him. But that transition is so difficult. And it, a lot of the time, it's not that these are bad players. People think that, oh, just because it didn't work out. It is the, the transition because these guys don't get paid in college. And all of a sudden, they have uh, lots of money, lots of freedom, lots of stardom. And it, it can be very difficult to, to manage that, um, you know, when, when you have uh, had such a controlled environment in college. So undoubtedly, I think the, every year there are busts. I think we will potentially see even more busts uh, um, th- this year just because um, you're, you, teams will have to pick guys who they haven't had an opportunity to meet with, meet with. Ordinarily, teams go through this incredible process where they spend days meeting with players, um, meeting with their family, trying to find out, like, what are they like off the field? What are they going to be like? Are they going to stay motivated? But they haven't been able to do any of that. So they're going to rely on the data they have, and I think that could mean that potentially guys that we thought might go higher or in the draft don't. There might be some surprises there, but equally we might see guys next uh, next season when it kicks off in September who we thought, yeah, they, they should really make the transition. But what if they, there's a guy, Caleb Farley, who is a cornerback. He is absolutely outstanding talent-wise, but he's struggling with He's coming off back surgery. By the time he plays his next game, it will be almost 600 days um, since he has played competitive football. How is that going to, to impact him? And so I think that's what makes this year in particular so fascinating. Is a lot of times, you know, you can kind of work out where teams might want to go um, because of positional needs or where they've been spending time. I think this year will be very different, and that's where the intrigue uh, really lies this year. Well, from an Irish perspective, it's certainly going to be very different. I introduced you as Colm from the Irish NFL show, which means that there is an Irish NFL show. Generally, it was done online and uh, some great, great rapport that you have with the fans, but you're making a huge transition. History, as you have up on Twitter, for the first time since the 1990s, an Irish-American football show will broadcast on television in Ireland. The draft show is going to be on Virgin Media Sport from 1030 after Wednesday's Champions League semi-final. Just an absolute huge congratulations to you. It must feel very good to be vindicated all the work that you've been putting in over the past few years. Yeah, we're delighted. Um, just really, really pleased. And look, uh, shout out to Michael, Brian and Mark, who are my, my co-hosts. And um, the, the work is phenomenal. We're delighted. We would have grown up watching, you know, when... Um, the American football was on TV here, and that's how um, you know I fell in love with the game. Was watching the, the highlights and, and Miles Duncan doing the, the commentary. So it's great to have the opportunity to kind of bring the game to, to the fans and and, and hopefully um, you know expand the, the audience a, a little bit. So um, we are we're delighted and um, thanks to, to to Virgin Media for for taking the chance and putting it out there. But I think you can see the appetite. 
that there is for the game um, on social media. Um, there are fans right across the, the island and even, say, on a, a local level, um, they, the teams, the American Football Ireland have done a great job. So you see kids playing flag football. Um, there are teams right across. So I think from, uh, from the ground right up to, to the, the NFL and the interest in it, you have seen that grow um, in Ireland over the, the last few years. So it is wonderful, and we are really delighted. So if uh, people can tune in on, on Wednesday, it is a, a preview show. It, it, it is pre-record, pre-recorded, so there may well be some changes. We've already seen that the Kansas City Chiefs um, make, a, make a trade with the Ravens. So, um, But it, it is a really, really exciting time, and it is what, what we hope to do, obviously, is when... Um, we uh, we are the restrictions have eased and you know vaccines have rolled out. We we would love to you know get to the opportunity to meet with fans uh, across the country. But this is something we can intend to continue to to look to build. Um, and so thanks to to you, it's people like you as well, Shane, who kind of supported us. Um, and that's the the reason why it has grown in in the way that it has. We're just really appreciative of the support. That was Colin Cronin from the Irish NFL show. You can catch the show on Virgin Media from 10.30 this coming Wednesday. Next up is FAI development officer and proud Highview man, Dean Broaders. Yeah, look, it hasn't been easy training. Same as everyone, whether you're playing, you know what I mean, whether you're playing National League or League of Ireland, straight, all the way down to ourselves playing in the in the Kilkenyan District League, you know, it's been tough. Um, it's been hard to kind of Hard to adapt and keep yourself busy, I suppose, and even keep uh, basically even keep fit or have the motivation. I know I I can't. I'm not one of those people that uh, likes going out on on five k and ten k runs. I get all the fitness in just by playing <laughs> football, you know. So that's been tough. But look, it is what it is, and I think uh, we've we've done our part. Um, but I you know it's good now that there's starting to be some uh, light at the end of the tunnel with the with the underage starting to come back. So hopefully we're not too far after that. To be honest, and we we'll, let uh, I'm sure we clash. We we'll hopefully we clash someday on the. On the on the pitch, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you definitely don't want to come up against me. It wouldn't. It'd be nowhere near your standards, Dino. You know, your former League of Ireland. I'm I'm Division Two at best, KDL style. But um, uh, yeah, it, it it is interesting to kind of look at because I'm managing the lads um out of Castle Warren, but you've yeah. you've you've made a, a a big kind of step with your development officer role with the FAI. Um, I'd yeah. imagine that would have started with the likes of the Kickstart programs and stuff like that, and how you how you came to be where you are now. Yeah, hundred percent. Look, I'm I always say I'm I'm very uh, lucky and fortunate to to have a career in, in football. You know, with the job, um, and you're right. I would have started with, with me Kickstart and on the on the on the introductory coaching uh, world. Uh, obviously, when I went to college, actually, I would have started there. Um, and the same as yourself, just coaching underage teams and and uh, working your way up through it. Then, so um, you know, luckily I've, I've gone on a, a bit from there. And as you said, it's great now to be to be have the job that I do have because that's me. You know, that's me day to day. I do it every day. So um, you know, I love it. Um, and look, like like you said at the start, it's just looking forward now to actually getting back out because we in our roles, obviously, we've had to adapt massively. Same as, as most people, that everything's online. We're still doing coaching courses, of course, but it's not the same. You know, it's it's good and it's it's the best we can do. But even with the courses, you want to be out there with the coaches, kind of face to face, and it's it's just much better interaction and everything. But look, we're not too far away again, so hopefully, uh, back soon. Ha- has it allowed? Um for a coaching sense to kind of work on more of the theory side of the game and I, albeit you mightn't get to put it into practice for or yeah. for another while but has it kind of brought some mad ideas about different aspects of coaching has it kind of ignited that creativity in you as a coach to uh, be coming up with different types of sessions or has it somewhat kind of I, I know it's your day to day and it's something that you have to do but has it curtailed you in a way that it, the, the fire might kind of go when you don't have that yeah. practical aspect of it I think there's an argument for both, Shane, you know. Um, I think a lot of courses you see now, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, if you just look at Twitter, and obviously I'm, I'm following a lot of people who would be who courses themselves, and, you know, they've done a lot of courses, and, you know, just, just as you said, the, maybe the, the, the academic side of it, you know, reading up on, on different books and podcasts and stuff like that, so 
there certainly has been a lot of that. It's, it's, it's been the only thing you can do. But I also think that, you know, you, you can't be being on the pitch. I think the most learning from players or coaches happens on the pitch. Um, so I think, look, going back, lads will have a lot of information and they'll be have the, after soaking up a lot of knowledge. But it's, uh, can you know, can you put it into practice now and, and everyone will be rusty. Even yourself and, you know, yourself when you're going back, you'll, 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 you'll notice that bit of rust. But no, I think so. I think uh, to your point, I think definitely um, a lot of coaches would have would have been helped in in the in the um, getting more knowledge into themselves. But again, yeah, for me anyway, you can't be just being on the pitch, you know. Yeah, um, I think that's that's the main part, isn't it? Is there a worry though, in a sense that like a lot of I I, I know it's it, it's unavoidable, but lads are lads and ladies are missing out on crucial parts of their development uh, coming into 100%. sports you know what I mean like I, I, yeah. I remember my early days with uh, City Boys and uh, then going on yeah. to Freebooters and stuff like that and I like I know if one of those years weren't there I wouldn't have ended up kind of continuing to play soccer or anything like that I know lads are mad to get back and stuff like that but for teenagers and the drop off rate yeah. and then having to choose between different sports and other sports coming back at different times stuff like that um, you know is, is there much concern there amongst the FAI about that yeah, look, you're, you're definitely right. I think you know there's some like even I take myself I, this year. Um, I was I was managing the the Kilkenny Kennedy Cup team, and you know it's it's a huge, it's prestigious competition. It's, I think it's the biggest uh, schoolboy competition in Europe actually. Yeah. And you know, like that's when, when I look back at when I was was playing, that was a, a big part of of my underage. You know, going to the Kennedy Cup, you're in Limerick for a week. You're you're, you know, it's, it's it's close to kind of a professional setup as you'll have uh, that week. You're living in houses with all your teammates and so on. So there is part of that. Like a lot of kids will have missed kind of crucial crucial times in in their in their little pathway or their careers, whatever you want to call it. And it's right it's, it's right away across every sport. Um, there certainly would be a, a look. There's a concern there, um, but I, I just think that you know it's one of these situations saying where look and look it goes without saying it, it was unavoidable. There's nothing we could have done and. The best thing we can do now is try and catch up as quickly as possible, you know, and try and provide provide ways of of, of bridging the gap and and catching up on, like you said, those crucial couple of months. It's it's, it's probably what is it now over a year? We're probably talking a year and four months by the time things get back to normal. It could be even a year and a half. So, out of any 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 sports person's life, that's that's a huge gap. So, you're just hoping that as best a lot of kids have, have kind of kept themselves ticking over um, and, and that they can they can pick up where they where they were left off you know and and uh, hope, anyway. the, the, the sense, like the, during that time then uh, it's allowed a lot of people to kind of have a watch football and I suppose from an international level the light is, has been shined on the FAI over the past while or whatever like that but someone that has been like in the trenches and you see the work that's going on behind the scenes, do you think it's a bit unfair to tire the FAI with the brush that they're getting tired with um, over the over the past while? Look, Shane, it's it's, it's uh, I think when you're not in when you're not in the, uh, the on the inside, I suppose it's easy to it's easy to kind of criticise. And look, I'll be honest, I was probably one of my, one of those myself years ago. But when you when you know the inner workings, and I suppose you know what's going on at underage level, and you see, you know, I, I work with a lot of clubs on, on on you know educating their players and stuff like that, and educating their coaches. It's uh, you know the work that goes in across the country, grassroots especially, uh, and then you know even into the, in the, the international squads and the work that's going on there. It's it's phenomenal. Like you know, I think we're on the right path. Is, is how I w- would look at it. Um, it's not easy. Um, you know, in a country where football is a second sport. Like uh, if, if we're being honest, you know, so it's it's not easy. And I think the criticism. I think Shane, what what we notice is that when things go things go wrong. Um, you know, everyone everyone jumps on the on the bandwagon and, and criticizes, but you know we don't see a whole lot of the opposite when things are right. You know, and there is a lot of good things going on within the uh, within the association. It doesn't get brought to light an awful lot, but um, look, it is what it is. Um, and, and hopefully now we, we can just we're, we're we're on the right track, is what I'd say. And hopefully that we, we we'll see the fruits of that in uh, in years to come. You know. Yeah, well, I, like I see a lot of. Um, uh like say from a coaching perspective there's a lot of different courses we know that uh, there was a course to get more female coaches involved in the game yeah. uh, their, their first two to and they were offered at uh, a no rate or they were gauging interest yeah. anyway um, there was no fee involved with that so we see kickstarts happening all the time for people that want to get involved and clubs supporting that as well so you know sometimes it's nice, it, it, it might be nice to put your money where your mouth is get involved in the coaching yeah. structure of your of your volunteer or of your club volunteer put some time in like so many people do and, and realise it 
it is a quite a, a difficult thing to do. But these things are happening the whole time. Uh, do you notice much upkeep now, especially in the Kilkenny area, say, of uh, more people getting involved with the coaching due to this uh, pandemic? Yeah, 100%. Look, we, in fairness, Shane, we have been flat out in terms of our, the, the course education we're doing. Like, you know, there's, there's at least two courses that we... We work on, on a sort of a region basis now, so it's kind of in the southeast. We will all kind of um, jump in and out, with, and there's probably five or six of us in the region that will will you know facilitate all the coaching. So I could be in Waterford uh, or doing a course for Waterford or Carlow, and we all kind of chop and change like that. But as I said, there's there's two or three courses now a week that we're that we're doing. So um, and like you did, the, the uptake, especially you know, and again, I think it's a positive form of pandemic if you can even call it that. That people have kind of um, have really kind of looked at and, and said, look, now is the time to get myself educated. And, you know, you might not always have the time when you're working and you're at full, you know, in, in normal circumstances. So it certainly has given an opportunity for people to kind of, um, that, you know, might not as be as busy as they were, get involved. And I, I think a big initiative from, from our point of view, Shane, is um, there's a program called the Club Mark. Um, and basically what it is, is it's, it's a set of kind of uh, guidance, I would suppose, and, and every club will have to have their structures in place, things like Garda Vet and every club will have to have a, a certain degree of coaching qualifications within their each team and it's really just kind of raising the standards. So I think that has that has also um that has pushed on the, the amount of coaches now looking to get educated and stuff. Because look Shane, you know yourself uh, from from playing as well, I, I would have played a bit of League of Ireland and when I came actually, you know, you'd think that you'd automatically be able to coach, but it's it's two completely different worlds, you know. And I remember I would have been on the back of playing maybe four or five seasons in League of Ireland. I started in IT Carlow then and doing my kickstart at the time. Um, I hadn't a clue, like you know. Um, so it's it's two different worlds, and I think uh, the unfortunate thing is a lot of people they'll watch football on telly and they think, yeah, sure, I can easily coach that. Or it's a, as I said, it's a completely different world. So it would be, as you say, um, I won't use your words about putting <laughs> putting your money where your mouth is, but I would certainly I would certainly encourage everyone to to give like an introductory course, like a PDP one or a kickstart one, a go, and and just see how how difficult it, it can be or how much is in it, you know. Um, and then hopefully that that ignites the spark for them to, to to get involved in grassroots club and give back a little bit as well, you know. Yeah, you mentioned the FAI Club of Mark Award. We were speaking to representatives of Collection from Carlo and uh, Very good, from yeah. e- from Evergreen there recently, and they yeah. just you could hear how proud they were that their club was able to achieve that. Hundred percent. And look, that that's like the, the other side of it as well. Is that's why it is, it's called an award for that reason because like. Again, you'll know from from being in that environment of of the amount of work that goes on in the background of clubs, um, and it doesn't get noticed, I suppose, in, in general by, you know, some parents. And it's not 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 on purpose, but you know, I think people on the outside when they're not involved in clubs, they don't see the time and effort and dedication and sacrifice that goes into actually running the club, like Evergreen, like Collection, and um, it's nice that those those volunteers then can be recognised with an award like this to say, look, it's it's not. You know, it's, there's no big uh, award ceremony or something like that. But just to have that badge to say, look, we're a club that that really ha- has its has its act together. You know, we we, we promote best practice um, and we really try to try to look at, try to develop our kids. And that's at a basic level. That's what it's about. And it brings in you know your facilities and everything else at a later stage. But it's a it's a great little initiative for people for clubs to sign up for. And there, there's a lot of other clubs in Kilkenny on on the on the path to to get in that award as well so it's great and it, it'll raise the bar and that's what it's all about saying it's raised the bar right across the, the county and then across the country as well 100% it's uh, something that I I, I I wholeheartedly agree with and it'll be great we see that the great work that had been done out in Highview over the past while the great work in Thomastown with Freebooters from a Kilkenny yeah. from a KDL perspective which is where I, I, I played you can just see all those things and Castle Warren being a relatively new adve- adventure for us over the past five years um, it, it's something to kind of look at and say that's where we want to be 100%. In, in an excellent yeah, yeah. years but. and look Shane when, when I started with Highview that was the that was the that was the idea as well, and it was you know you look at the Evergreens, you look at Thomastown, you look at Freebooters and and all the other clubs, and you, and you kind of say this is where we need to be, like you know. So it's a uh, it's great motivation when you see clubs really reaching those standards, and there's nothing to say that any other club in the county can't do that either, you know. So that's what it's all about. That was Dean Broder's FAI Development Officer. Next up is Shirley Trimble on the return to tennis in Kilkenny. We're eagerly anticipating tomorrow morning when we can get back on course, starting at 7am. It'll be great. Oh, so you're, you're, you're going for an early start anyway. 7am, yeah, um, yeah. 
Uh, I've booked to court for seven o'clock. A game of singles tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. So I just hope I don't injure myself so early in the morning. But it's <laughs> great. To get, it's great to get back out in court. And uh, what type of different things are you going to have to go through? Then is it going to be quite similar to the first time that you were allowed open back up yeah. almost a year ago? Is it the same type yeah. of protocols, or is there anything yeah, more a, difficult? A, a lot of a lot of the systems are, are are still the same in the fact that we're allowed to play singles. Um, singles matches are allowed for an hour. You can book it on the online booking system, and we can also play doubles matches as well which you can book for an hour and a half with family members or a member from the same domestic bubble as yourself against another pairing. So singles and doubles can play. We have all the, the COVID, uh, we've been compliant with the COVID policies that are needed, which are, which are in, were instructed by Tennis Ireland to comply with. Um, so it's to try and obviously um, keep in line with them encouraging people not to gather in the club, you know, after the matches, really to turn up and play. And you must book online, so people have to use the, the online booking system, which has been in place since last year. And also there's a new FOB system that we have for members that they need to swipe that in as well. So that's a, a further security measure. And the hand sanitising stations are there for all members to use on entering and exiting the course. So we're encouraging people to use them as well. And the, the clubhouse itself uh, will be closed. So it's really turn up and play and enjoy your game and, and head off straight away again afterwards. Yeah, it's uh, are you noticing any apprehension or anything from people coming back, or is there people just so eager and they're no, delighted it's coming think, back? Yeah, it, I think in general people are keen to play it. It's something that people can um, sort of dip into when, when the time is right for them as well. I mean, I, I'm very excited to play tomorrow. For, first things first, and I was looking at the bookings for tomorrow, and there's about sort of eighty percent of the courts have been booked tomorrow, but they're, they're not all fully booked yet. So people can dip their toe in when they're comfortable to, to, to go up to the tennis club. The other thing, I suppose, is, is injury prevention. People have been, you know, at home and not taking so much exercise recently. So we provide the committee and the club captain, Ivan Cahill, provided a six-week course of online yoga for the members of the tennis club to try and get them as, as supple and strong as possible before returning back to sport. So that was over the, the, the previous, the last six weeks with local um Pilates and yoga instructor Imelda Morris. So that was a nice thing for club members to be able to avail of free of charge. So hopefully that will reduce the incidence of injuries when people get back onto onto court again. No one having tennis um, elbow or anything like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah, or straining their calf muscle or straining their hamstring or whatever it is whenever they're, they're, they're running around the course. So no, I don't think people, are, I, I don't get a, a sense of apprehension. I think mainly excitement and been unlucky that we were able to get out and uh, and play, you know, and being uh, get you know get get back in the saddle as you like, uh, you know, once again. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic just to kind of because I, I I'm involved in a lot of team sports, so when yeah. a lot of these sports were, were opening up to tennis and golf, you could you started getting hope and you started getting eager uh, of your own sport coming back um, so uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing anything that uh, you're, you're having going on we know that you had competitions coming out of the Yazoo there yeah. um, last yeah. year and a lot of proactive things but from a club perspective all these things cost money and it costs it's, yeah. it, there's financial implications of maintaining the grounds and stuff like that is there been much um if, for Tennis Ireland, has there been much support from Sport Ireland? We know that there's been different type of grants and funding that have been yeah, talked about for different yeah. sports. Have Has there been much in the tennis world coming yeah, your way? Yeah, there has. And well, there's been a bit of, of, of money directed our way for, we got a new lighting system last year, LED lighting system, which is great for predominantly over the winter months. So we haven't been able to avail of that too much, but we got um, some funding from from sport, from um, an Irish sports grant for that, which was great. And we're hoping to make the club itself a bit more eco-friendly in, in terms of um, incorporating a solar heating system into the into the club and the clubhouse itself. So that's something that we're planning for uh, for this year as well. The development committee has been busy behind the scenes, as have sort of the maintenance committee up in the tennis club as well. They've been doing great work in terms of painting and um, putting in new boundary netting and giving you know some overdue maintenance to the tennis club as well. So there's been uh, lots of scurrying around in the background trying to get it ready for for starting to play tomorrow. 
And uh, there's also a new mural, I hear, that is going yeah. to be in the clubhouse celebrating a five-time US Open champion from Bally Ragged in County Kilkenny. <laughs> it's not a story that uh, was very heard of. It was only brought to my attention over the past week by uh, a, a wonderful news anchor here, Edwina. And yeah. uh, just the, the story of Mabel Cahill uh, from Bally Ragged going over to the US in the early, you know, the, the, I think it was at the tail around 1890 something, you know, and then yeah, going over there and winning. The, the US Open five times. That's absolutely a yeah. tremendous story. Yeah, and um, there's been a, there's a commemorative piece has been erected again during lockdown by Ivan Cahill, who wanted to commemorate her, her, her great exploits at the US Open. And um, yeah, we look forward to, I'm sure there'll be a sort of a formal opening or a formal celebration of that when we can um, open it up. And I think there was a piece on one of your the history shows in KCLR last week or the week before, I think, that was dedicated towards her as well. And in some of the national papers, um, she's been mentioned. So it's great to have another uh, female sporting person out of Kilkenny doing so well. I was at the US Open in New York about, I think it was 11 years ago, myself and my husband went. And if I'd known that, I would have definitely delved into the history books a bit more when we were there in Flushing Meadows at the tournament to, to, to find out a bit more about it. But it's great to celebrate another local sporting, sporting event or sporting success, should I say. Certainly, and knowing that uh, like there was a tournament named after Mabel in uh, uh, Kilkenny Tennis Club, you know, yes, it, it's yes. important to pay tribute to the people that paved the way. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to enable us to get to to, to where we are today, and um, yeah, to enable us to, and, and especially from a female perspective as well, to see to see a, a lead in sport coming from the, the female race as well. I would always be trying to highlight them or, or promote them as well. And in terms of uh, athletes that you have training there, then uh, they're all going to come back. They'll hopefully be able to ascend yeah. to the type of accolades that Mabel Cal was able to, to do. But do you, do you have anybody amongst your ranks that are you're quite confident of going on now over the next few weeks in competitions if they are allowed to compete? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to mention any names now, but I, definitely the, the, the full coaching programme will be starting again for juniors. I understand, but they're going to leave it for this week and just let things settle in. And then the following week, uh, which will be the Tuesday after the Maybank holiday weekend, I think that junior coaching is starting. Adult coaching will be ongoing as well, obviously in line and complying with the COVID restrictions. But there are certainly a couple of youngsters to watch out for uh, in the future. We don't have any domestic tournaments happening at the moment and can't really see any for the foreseeable future so we'll just have to wait for the, the French Open which is coming at you know, the end of May the start of the clay season to be watching that from a competitive tennis uh, point of view but there's ongoing coaching the whole time up in the club and that'll be great for people to get started with that as well and Leinster squads and junior match play will all be happening because, because we're allowed with, within the numbers that we provide uh, able to play them outdoors which will be great too well, I'm I'm delighted for you. Um, I'm delighted for yeah. everybody involved in tennis, in in and in, in golf, and in all the sports that are are opening up and boxing as well. People are getting to spar or train outside in some capacity, and it gives me hope, as I said, for returning to a soccer pitch uh, very exactly. very soon. Yeah, for the team sports, it's great. Yeah, sort of some some sense of normality with this being a a stepping stone to to getting back to the outdoor training as well which will be uh, coming down the line hopefully I don't think my soccer team would be too pleased if I tell them that they have to be up at 7am though in the morning for a, <laughs> for a session <laughs> they'll have to start stretching now if it was the case <laughs> that was Shirley Trimble PRO of Kilkenny Tennis Club next up we have JJ Killian on his new book It's Your Club Give you a bit of context, first of all, your listeners may or may not know, um, right now there are about 12,000 sports clubs in all codes uh, throughout Ireland, and, and they're housing the guts of 1.7 million members. Um, so we're talking about a, a huge area here, and we're talking about uh, an area which has uh, over 400,000 volunteers right now, Shane. And if you were to... If you were to Bill that time to the exchequer, it could cost uh, somewhere between 350 million and 500 million euros a year to pay those people if you were to pay them. Wow. So sport in Ireland is huge now, Shane. 
and so is is this book then looking at it from a volunteer level and looking at kind of the underground underground yeah, clubs as opposed to any I, professional I, I, I clubs? I have been dealing with, with, with clubs for many, many, many years, Shane, and uh, I've dealt with a lot of even big clubs. And, and you know, not to, not to kind of disparage them in any way, but, but clubs are, are often run by committees of, for a better word, we call them amateurs for the moment, not to be disparaging in any way. But but there are quite big clubs around the country right now who have committees of, you know, 7, 10, 15, 20 people. And and most of them, in many cases, would have no management experience whatsoever. And a lot of them do not realize in these clubs that the whole climate out there has changed, Shane. So it's a different world they're operating in, you know. And from your level of experience then, just to give people uh, uh, an insight, is that this was a course as well that you've developed in conjunction with the yeah. Uh, yeah. LIT, Limerick Institute of Technology yeah. as well. So yeah. you, you've, been, you've been practicing what you preach almost uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was approached about two years ago with this germ of an idea. And I know from, from being approached by clubs all over the place, we came up with this idea because there's a huge deficit of knowledge out there and people, uh, you know, secretaries and treasurers and officers of committees, they're, they're sitting there at the tops of clubs, but they don't know what to do. And I have been bombarded over the years. What do I do if? And what do I do when? Uh, so we came up with this course in, for LIT uh, in Limerick, and it's a, it's a, it's a level six uh, certificate course, and it has been received with huge enthusiasm because it teaches people about structures, about committees, about you know, about governance, all these, you know, really important things for clubs. That's very interesting because a lot of the times when we're talking to people um, and you're talking about how to be successful as a club, you're talking maybe more about the the coaching aspect of things. But looking at the administrative a- aspect of things would no doubt be hugely valuable for for a lot of clubs oh, that yeah. are that are not just beginning, but clubs that are uh, also you know, just continuing as they are now. It, but it's not just, does it apply because your, your background in rugby? Is it just a rugby-related thing or is it applying no, across no, all I, sports? I, I, have, I, have been, I have played all the sports. I mean, I played squash for years. I played hockey. I played soccer. I played GA. I played a lot of rugby. You know, this, this, this is, a, is about club and club structure. It, the code is irrelevant here. It doesn't matter whether you're a hockey club or a GA club or a basketball club. This book applies to you. And it can be very, very helpful because there is, as I said, there is a huge deficit of knowledge out there as to what you should do to run a club properly. And does it help them with, with this, uh, I know I previously mentioned oh, yeah. it, but would it help with, the say, starting up a club as well um, oh, yeah, from, the, from the ground, yeah. ground I mean, level? I mean, a small club starting up might say, well, we don't need this. We don't need a plan. We don't need a constitution. We don't need this, that or the other. Well, well my answer to that is, yes, you do. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you form a club, um, and usually a club is formed by a number of people because they have some great enthusiasm about sport, and that's fine in itself. But in today's world, we have to be much more careful than we were heretofore, even in the whole area of social media now. Like, everybody is looking at everybody now, and governance is a huge issue now, Shane. You, you, know, you, know, you know the two recent classics example of how not to do it? are the Olympic Council of Ireland, the former OCI, and the FAI. They will be treated as management cases for many, many years to come as to how not to run an organisation. And especially now with the advent of new child protection laws and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine that's a massive... uh, This is a huge huge part of of governance now, uh, Shane. And to any club listening out there now, if you don't have uh, a child protection policy... If you don't have a, a welfare officer, if you, you know, if you don't have those things, you, you, you better gather your community together very, very quickly and get them in place. So you know, in, in, in some cases, like this might, I don't want to sound anyway harsh in clubs, but there are, in many, many cases right now, there are clubs that are in breach of legislation. They're breaking the law. So, you know, while it's great to have a club and be enthusiastic about sport, there's a bigger there, there is a bigger context to be understood here, you know. Yeah, because I was uh, about to kind of put it to you as well that there, there is something nice behind kind of establishing a club and a group of oh, friends yeah. getting together and being yeah. able to do that. But is it, yeah. 
it, it does become a bit of a, a, a much bigger thing in that it really does impact people's lives and it impacts it the does. community. And to be able to help the, the club strive, do you reckon then that your book is, is integral to, for people to know this, kind of giving you good... Yeah. Uh, basic or, understanding, or is it a lot more? I mean, I, I have, I've had some of my students come back from, from the LIT course, and uh, I mean, I was talking to one of them there the, the other day. He's a, he's a member of a, a GAA club, and he said every club in the country should have this book as their handbook because it tells you how to do everything. You know, like for example, there are clubs out there now, and you could ask every club in Carlow right now, when did you last look at your constitution? And you'll probably get a lot of sheepish and embarrassed looks. I'd say most clubs right now haven't looked at their constitution, if they have a proper one, in the last 10 or 15 years. And your, the constitution is the club Bible. It's, you know, it, it, it's your Ten Commandments. You know, the, club, the club has to operate in accordance with its constitution. And uh, you yourself, JJ, you have a military background. You were uh, I do, an yeah, army I officer. A, I was so. an army officer for nearly twenty-five years. Yeah. So you so can served, you, served here and, and, and abroad. <laughs> you can hear you can hear the the, the self discipline in your voice uh, as you're as you're speaking <laughs> well, about well, it. Well, thank you very much. Well, club sports clubs, uh, Shane, require sports clubs now are sort of they're like small businesses, uh, Shane, and they do require a discipline. I mean. I mean, there are shops there right now in the main streets in Carlo, and there are shops there that are turning over, we'd say. Well, let me put it another way. There are medium-sized or large-sized GA clubs, rugby clubs, soccer clubs, who will now have a turnover on an annual basis of 150, 200, 250, 300,000 euros. Now, if you have a shop in the middle of Carlo town turning over that sort of money, you, you will mind your business because you have a nice business. So what I'm saying to all those people out there who might be members of clubs if you're running a sports club, it should be run on business principles. There's no other, I mean, sporting enthusiasm is fine, but make sure that you're acting properly and with due governance. It's very interesting. Um, well, can people pick up this book or are you available yes, you for talks when things... Well, well all the, as you know, the bookshops are all closed at, at, at the moment, um, Shane. This book is, is published by, by Oak Tree Press and it can be bought online in two main places. It can be bought at successstore.com and it can be bought of course through Amazon Fascinating, well thanks very much for your time JJ and Thank you, as, as, as I said um, it, it's a very thought provoking thing that you're doing in, in the sense that it doesn't really get a lot of coverage, the business aspect of uh, a lot of sports oh, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite yeah. interesting Yeah, I mean uh, just, just the, the, the final word to all your, your listeners are there if, if you, you, any club is made up of the members you are the club, and it's your club. and it's, So you have a responsibility as a member and as part of the club to make sure that things are run properly for the members. Fascinating insight there from JJ Killian on his new book, It's Your Club. And finally, Paul Cummins, former world champion kickboxer, trainer at Top Pro, but also a manager with Kilkenny Storm on the newly touted multi-purpose minority sports arena. to the council there on Monday's meeting um, and the exact wording is that the Kenny County Council support the work with alternative sports organisations including the provision and the suitable site for to build a multi-purpose sports facility and arena in Kilkenny and it, it was passed and it was opted into the, the council's policies um, which is a big uh, win for us to be honest with you um, in, in recognition so it's, it's been 15 years since we first proposed it and I suppose this is just the the recognition that that this facility is needed, you know. And it's 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 uh, it's a brilliant score for us, you know. And is that what it, what it is? Is it recognition or is it a commitment to to either furthering this uh, uh, this idea or just as you said, recognition? Yeah, this is where we kind of need clarification, and we probably need a couple of follow-on meetings to to clarify exactly what it means. Um, it, 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 I suppose verbally it is um, a commitment from the council, but you know they've they've had commitments for even recently with the the skate park, um, which took you know over ten years after it was it was um, uh, committed to. So it, it, for me, it's a big thing in recognition, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, for me personally, want to know like, is it is it a recognition of our proposal? Is it a, a standalone venture that the council have decided to take on themselves? Um, and ultimately, whichever way it goes, that the product that's 
that's eventually developed is the right product. And, you know, there's, uh, I've always said it, there's been mistakes made in the past with facilities and stuff like that, that the same mistakes are not made again, that the people that this is supposed to service have are contacted and have their input into what's been needed. There is plenty of... Um, um, places around the world that have these facilities and, and really you just have to copy these places and, and that they don't come up with some alternative um, decision themselves that just doesn't suit. And so there's a lot of work to be done. Is the recognition at the government level like kind of the first time that the hockey in, in general has received some type of recognition from a government body? Um, roller hockey, yes, so inline. So what we're proposing, the biggest mistake that the hurdle that we've always had to make is that people presume we want an ice rink in Kilkenny, um, a permanent uh, ice hockey rink, which is which was never something we would propose because it's, it's just, we're, in Dublin is where that needs to be. What we really wanted and have always been fighting for is a, a multi-purpose sports facility where our club and many clubs like us can actually play high-impact, hardcore sports where you know we're not worried about damaging walls and damaging floors and stuff like that like there's not like that in Kilkenny I've always said it the the sports halls and the schools built nowadays it's of the old um, era where it's a soft wooden floor there's plastered walls there's glass and they all look really well and then the watershed is is, is probably the, the biggest example of that it looks fantastic but let's face it it's, it's just not practical you know, you're, they're afraid to mark the floor and there's pillars, there's glass, there's doors everywhere. That's not what a sports hall should be, especially a multi-purpose sports facility that can and, and should um, facilitate high-impact sports. That's what needs to be built, you know. And uh, are you reckoning then that a lot more work still needs to be done at, uh, at this level? But are you reckoning then that it, it, it could be in the next few years or are you looking at, like the skate park, another 10 years? This is this is the thing, and this is the way I, I, I don't plan on taking the foot off the pedal. I'm not just going to be happy with what's went on. Um, I'm going to keep fighting. I, I'm going to go twice as hard now that the recognition is there to make sure that this is pushed through. Um, you know, the skate park is fantastic, but the people that needed the skate park when it was proposed have now grown up, and it's their kids that are using it. And that can't happen with this project. You know, it's, it's, it's now it's needed especially when we come out of this lockdown. Um, I've always said it, it's a multicultural um, community out there now. That brings in itself different needs. Those needs need, um, and sports, need uh, an alternative facility so they can play their sports in it. Sports like roller hockey, like roller derby, like uh, indoor field hockey, um, wheelchair rugby, wheelchair basketball, all these high-impact, high-speed um, sports this is what's needed, and it's going to be needed in the next two years or so. So they really just um, need to get it done, and that's what I'm worried about, that it's going to be put now, it's on the back burner, and there's always going to be something else, there's always going to be other issues. Keep I've been keep told and been told land and stuff is hard because of house and all that. They have um, a massive um, projection of... of, of um, over in the western environment of schools and houses, but they have no provisions for amenities. So, you know, it, it comes parcel and parcel, whatever. And I'm just, I'm just going to make sure that that we're we're a part of that process, and that when something is done, that it's the right thing that's to be done. So, yes, you're, to, the answer to your question is there is a lot of work to be done. To be honest. And as someone who's coming from a, a martial arts background and who's coached martial arts, you've obviously been in the corner of people or have people in your corner. For this particular fight that you've been fighting, have you had any counsellors or anything like that fighting for your for for you or in your corner? Yeah, um, on and off over the years, I've probably fallen out with a few and I've I've gained a few friends and, and even in, in other interviews that I've done with them, they, they'll tell you um, i you know, I suppose my my relentlessness is, has kind of crossed over the line sometimes that I don't understand the process of. Um, we, we now have to try and get... We're, it's, at, I suppose, my responsibility as leading this to get a feasibility study, which costs tens of thousands. Um, uh, now whose responsibility is? Is it the council's responsibility to get it? Um, now, uh, Councillor Fitzgerald has been really good for us over the last couple of years, and he's, you know, he was one of the first councillors to get us grants for for um, equipment for our kids, which is brilliant. And you know, um, Councillor McGinnis has seconded this, this um, motion to get it through. 
really what I need now is that these councillors that are backing it is, is to come together, have a meeting and have a clear um, track of what needs to be done, a timeline of what needs to be done and, and what our group has to do with, with the process going forward. Is it just lip service? Is it something that's going to be aggressively um, looked after? Or, like I said, is it going to be put into the back burner? Um, I just I don't have much faith in the system. I think a lot of the councillors that have helped in the past found it frustrating themselves. So it's not an easy process, even from the inside. So it's it's just I just got to keep going, hell for letter, and 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 you know don't just rest on my laurels now that this this is this has been taken on by the council in some way. I just need to figure out or being told what is the process from here on. It's just confusing. Yeah, well, it's a, it, we've been kind of following the journey. I think we've only spoke twice uh, in the past year since this pandemic. Uh, once when you were over in Chicago with the, the hockey team and uh, once yeah. since then as well, talking about this particular subject. But it's great to, to hear because, as I said before, the the news, like there's Irish internationals uh, playing their trade here as well, you know, and the, the Ireland as a na- nation in hockey is being represented. But having the amenities to be able to do it and having to travel up to Belfast is obviously not ideal all the time no it's not ideal and it's 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 shameful really that you know the the parents of the kids and their friends and family don't get to come like what all most sports get to do you know stand on the sidelines and cheer on their friends and their family when they're competing that just doesn't happen in our sport and and a lot of sports like us you know there's sports that were in kilkenny or can never come to kilkenny simply because the facilities are not here um years ago there was a roller derby um team and they broke up because they could only train in car parks during good weather. And now they're all, they, they've broken up and gone their, their separate ways. You know, it's sports like that that we should be trying to embrace in Kilkenny. Um, I have teams that you travelled over. Our last tournament, I think, was in O'Loughlin's before they, they stopped us using the facility. It was 12 years ago. Those teams still want to come to Kilkenny. They love Kilkenny. It's, it's small, it's compact, it's a great little town to come and visit, stay overnight over the weekend. You know, we can hold championships here, we can hold leagues here. You know, on my sport alone, we take 10 teams away every month um, to Longford and to Portadown, and that's every weekend. You can imagine that amount of people coming to Kenny. It's it's a benefit for the whole city, not just for the clubs, local clubs and that. So there is a bigger picture as well, like, you know, especially in an arena. Then you could have a sport and a sports facility for excellence for the likes of our clubs where national teams come and train and international tournaments and so on and so on. You know, it's it's endless. And you're not just involved in, in hockey as well. You're you're with Top Pro. You're a coach down at Top Pro Martial Arts, a fitness centre in Kilkenny. Uh, are you getting any respite? Are you able to get back out, um, train outdoors or anything with the new restrictions kind of easing? No. Um, at the minute, it's very hard for us because you're, you're, you're going into parks and stuff. Everybody's doing their own thing. We're in contact with our members um, a, a lot of the time. But really, it's going to be when the facilities open and, and, and all clubs are really, especially indoor clubs like ourselves, it's it's going to be a huge detriment onto young talent. Like a, a year out is probably, you know, a lack of three year development. So if you had a young up and coming fighter, I think we spoke about this the last time. Yeah. That's that's on the cusp of, you know, becoming, you know, a good talent. That's stopped. He's probably gone three years behind. Plus he's that little bit older and, you know, he's 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 grown in, in, in stature and, and his body has changed that, you know, he's missed out on that year of, of, of you know, the, the important years of uh, techniques becoming natural to him and that, that it's just, it's going to be tough on sports and especially on coaches over the next couple of years trying to make up that ground. And, and we really do need help and funding for to trying to make up. And of course, there's the whole physical health and mental health and that goes along with all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it can't be always about tourism. It can't be always about housing. It can't be always... And, and they're all very important. I'm not trying to down... But we need that little bit of percentage of help to all the clubs, all the indoor clubs that, that have suffered. We just need that little bit of help to when things do open that make sure that the equipment is still able to be used, that if they need a few quid to, to replace bags or a little bit of machinery or the flooring, that, that it's provided and that the clubs can, can hit the ground running when we are allowed. 
Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to getting back into a gym myself. I'm hitting the ground running out on the on the roads, but it's not doing my knees any good at this age. But Paul, thanks very yeah, much. Okay. Uh, I have a message in from Johnny Cavanaugh when I introduced you as a world champion, as a coach with Top Pro and a coach with the inline hockey team. He said that you're also a great singer as well. Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> That was Paul Cummins. And that's us for today. This is Scoreline Extra signing off. You can catch the live show in all its glory 2 to 6 on Saturday and Sunday. If you like what you hear, why not dip into the archive? Some great interviews have been conducted over the past few weeks on Scoreline. That's it for now on Scoreline Extra. Stay safe, stay safe.